This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast for visiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Star Cops, Episode 9. I just thought he was more likely to come and search you if he thought that you were all... If he thought you were all in a state of shock. Oh, come on. We were. You? You were still prowling around looking for a fight. Yeah, well, shock makes me aggressive. Yeah? What doesn't? (laughs) We wasted a lot of time trying to figure out a replacement for you. Yeah, I guess it were choice was. (laughs) 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 Which just leaves one question to answer. Anyone for Mars? Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that knows you should never take a ride on any spaceship named Lucifer One. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Was the ship called Lucifer One? I don't even remember that. Yeah, they kept saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember. Yeah, Lucifer <laughs> One's a bad name for a, a ship. I, I had my suspicions that things might not go well for it right <laughs> away. <laughs> That's funny, I didn't even catch that. I guess because the show is so remarkably boring that you, as a viewer, you just keep nodding off all the time. <laughs> You're always so uh, engaged with these things Yeah, exactly <laughs> Well, this is the end of Star Cops, Jordan, our last episode mm-hmm. It feels like it's been a while I mean, it's been more than a month now mm-hmm. we've, been, we've been at it for a while um, It's interesting because this was the, actually also the last episode filmed But um, there was supposed to be a 10th episode of this show That yeah. was actually supposed to actually air before this one but um, the show actually ended not from cancellation, but actually there was a uh, strike at right. uh, the BBC. The, I guess an electrician strike was kind of what took a pause to the entire show. And so they had to go down for a few months. Maybe it was weeks. I'm not sure. And then when they had to come back up, there's basically a ton of shows that needed to finish shooting. And so they had to like really prioritize what they were going to like wrap up. So this show had to pick between one of two episodes. And they kind of went with their a planned final episode, I suppose. So do you think this they chose this was the stronger of the two, huh? I mean, did you read about what the uh, the unshot episode was? No, I knew there was a tenth, but I didn't know what the premise of it was. Uh, apparently the premise was more of like a um, sort of Agatha Christie style, like murder mystery, like, uh, you know, one room or in this case, probably like one space station, like uh, whodunit. Right. Uh, I believe it's called Death on the Moon. Hmm. You know, like on the Nile. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I'm sort of glad they they didn't end up shooting it because it, it was primarily a uh, around a uh, Chinese corporation called Chinex, uh, which <laughs> certainly would have been a sensitive portrayal of uh, Chinese relations. I think you're right. I'm also glad, but for a slightly different reason. I just I don't really like those Agatha Christie murder mysteries. They're always just kind of hokey. What about Knives Out? It was okay. Oh wow, you're a real not you're a real non fan. Do you think it was great? You thought it was amazing? I had a great time at uh, Knives Out. Yeah, that was okay. There's <laughs> a lot of actors really enjoying themselves, I guess. I mean, your scale of enjoyment, I guess. It only it taps out about seven, right? It goes past that if there's something that's better. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say I, I I do I am sorry we didn't get to see who the the killer was in that episode because it was described as a flamboyant Swiss industrialist. <laughs> I like to see that too. I'm curious what a flamboyant Swiss industrialist would be like. He's given out a lot of chocolates, I think. 
pastel suits, I hope. Mm. At any rate, this so th- this ended up being the final episode, and I, it looks like it was uh, unfortunately pretty pretty problematic for them in general. Uh, I'm sure you noticed, but uh, the actor who played uh, mm-hmm. David Thoreau was not in the episode. Um, he had chicken pox when they came back to shoot, so he just could not come to the episode, and uh, it kind of put them in a very tough spot. Yeah, it's funny because they they sort of uh, uh, are able to just give a line of dialogue to explain it, which sort of worked. I mean, you know it's odd that he's not there, but they're just like, oh, he needed his vacation, so there you go, he's off. Well, and I was watching some of the -the behind-the-scenes documentaries and stuff to prepare for this episode to kind of get some more backstory on it, and one of the things that was talked about between uh, Divas, the actor played Divas and the actor played Nathan, they talked about how when they came back to shoot this episode... It did, the episode didn't get rewritten because Divas wasn't there. Those two actors rewrote the episode themselves to take him out because the creator didn't come back to rewrite the episode. <laughs> oh, so like on the spot they just did it? Yeah, and as like obviously, you know, the behind the scenes pieces are these kind of like documentaries about it. They're all, you know, pretty like fluff pieces, very positive about the show. But like I did note that both those actors talked about how not and they always were important to preface it with not that the scripts weren't good, but apparently they were rewriting dialogue on the fly the whole time because they couldn't make because they didn't think it made sense to their characters or to the plot of the show. So it seems like these two actors may have been all along like making tweaks, trying to improve it as they went. So it wasn't just the last episode, apparently. I can't speak to that because I you know didn't see what the original scripts were, but I think I've said it before. I do think this is a uniformly good cast, and I think it's one of the strengths of the show. It's unfortunate that these scripts, at least in this latter half of the season, I don't think have quite matched the performances. So you get this weird mix of actors really trying and the scripts not. Right. I mean, and I think that is uh, something, even watching some of these documentaries, it sounds like this show is like rushed into production at like, a, a crazy pace which is why there's just like a bunch of disparate writers who like weren't were, they weren't even given us like ideas to write from they're just like write whatever you want right and i think it shows that like these scripts are like first drafts at best yeah yeah and it's it's r- really evident in the last i think about the last three or four episodes actually which is kind of a real shame not only because they're not very good episodes but because it has such a short run and such a large percentage of the show is at best kind of like throwaway episodes you know well, and I mean, those ones in particular seem to be the ones that were like outside writers brought in to write. I did. I don't know if you caught this quote. It was on the Wikipedia, but I was reading the kind of like the, the reception of the film of the show uh, mm-hmm. at its time. There's a few quotes from uh, critics who are watching it. And uh, this was my favorite quote from one of the critics who watched the show at the time when he was discussing that uh, Space Mafia episode. This was the quote from his review. He asked readers to quote, if you are following any of this, please write in and explain it to me. <laughs> Not good. Uh, and I mean, that Space Mafia one was a very confusing episode. So yeah. I just, I thought that was very funny. I'm like, yeah, even at the time, everyone's like, these episodes, they don't make sense, do they? Yeah. It's a weird uh, thing that this show has. At all times, it's very complicated and seems as if there's a very intelligent idea behind it. But in the end, it always seems to kind of fall flat. And you're like, I guess it wasn't that clever. It was just convoluted for convoluted sake. Well, it does seem like, like they'll have a mystery that... On paper, like if you were to say this is going to be your mystery, it could be good. But and they have the elements to perhaps get there, but it just feels like they don't have the time. So they're like they throw a bunch of red herrings in, and then like if you know, it feels like if you like like the clone episode where it's just like the guy's clone did the kidnapping. Like if you spent like two or three more drafts, like 
maybe tying them together a little more and making the conspiracy a little more in- intricate. Maybe you'd have a more better mystery. But in the end, it was just like he had a clone he didn't know about. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and we're going to tell you it's a clone right off the bat and just wait for the characters to catch up. <laughs> um, I was also reading, and you probably have seen this as well, just a little bit. I guess, you know, when the show wrapped up, they didn't know whether they were going to come back or not. And I guess the uh, the producer had asked the writer to come up with a few, like, possibilities for what might happen in the second season. And, and mm. I don't think it got very far, probably, like, notes on a napkin kind of idea. But sort of here's what I read about kind of the uh, what would have happened should it continue is they were hoping to like expand the setting of the show. They wanted to like move on to Mars and then there was going to be like big ring space colonies out in space that were being constructed. So I think the idea was they're going to expand to be a bit bigger. Perhaps some cast would live on Mars. Perhaps they'd get some new cast. But essentially it would become a, a much more sprawling show. I think that would probably be a good idea. I mean, the idea of, you know, what did they call it before this high frontier? You know, the idea of Nathan and the team, you know, getting into a space shuttle of some sort and going to another planet or another satellite space station and solving crimes off of their home base i think is interesting because it did feel a little bit constricted and it's like all this stuff keeps happening on their little moon base but i mean sailor fair enough it's funny you bring up the high frontier uh i'm not sure if you you probably didn't have time to watch this but i watched uh the, the documentary it was the the cult of star cops i believe it's like a series of documentaries in the, right. uh, in the uk uh, that was actually one of the working titles for the show was High Frontier. Oh, I think High Frontier is a better title. I just, Star Cops never really worked. I think it was in the first podcast. You mentioned that you thought Muppets were going to show up because of because of the title. It just seems so generic, right? Like, I mean, I get why, because that is probably has the broadest appeal, but High Frontier is better. Yeah, I mean, as as we've noted, there was a, there was a lot of... Uh... <laughs> What do you, how, what do you what would you call it uh, animosity between the producer and the creator mm-hmm. over the course of making this show, and it's very funny. It seems like some of them won some battles. Some one of them won some battles. One of them won the other. Watching this documentary, they interviewed them both, and like the producer was the one who wanted High Frontier, but I guess probably because he and the writer were fighting, the writer fought for Star Cops. Also, not a particularly good title, and that did win out. Right, but the writer didn't want that terrible theme song, and the producer did want it. I mean, I'm on exactly. I'm on uh, team writer for that one. I mean, you know what? At this point, I've kind of uh, beca- fallen in love with that theme song, so I'm now on team producer side for that theme song. Well, it's there's no question it's an earworm. Like, after I watch the episode, I'll be at work, and it's just in my head all day. For whatever reason, right now, whenever I hear it, it's like, no, you know what? I like this song. <laughs> It's funny, we talked a bit about, too, like I was watching this documentary, just trying to get some nuggets about the production mm-hmm. of the show. And we talked about how there was two different production teams, one who came in and overlit and, like, did really yeah. TV shot it, and then one who would come in and, like, underlight it and, like, make it a little more gritty. And even watching the documentary, they're talking to the actors about it, and they're talking about how that second team came in, and they're like, oh, we need to make this more lived in. We need to make this show feel, like, more real. So they had the actors, like, pick all kinds of like personal items that would be on their desk and all these knickknacks and things, you know, just to give it a little mm-hmm. more of a, a, like of a feel. And apparently when they came back three weeks later and that first team came back to shoot their block of episodes, the production team came in and just threw all of that stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, they had to go find it all. So they, so there'd be some continuity between episodes. It's, it is funny. I'm trying to think of another show specifically that we've watched over the course of these uh, 150. So episodes where there's been such a, disconnect between the creative team behind the scenes like would have normal viewer notice if they hadn't watched this uh, you know sorry didn't know about it i'm not quite sure but knowing knowing the issues you can really you can really see Absolutely. the difference 
I mean, and I think it really gives you a sense of just like what a rush job the show must have been. Yeah. Just because how how like you could have these two blocks shooting who are not communicating any way, shape, or form, and clearly just rushing to get these things done. Um, and I, I like one other little nugget I picked up from this making of documentary because I think it's fairly recent, like 2015, 2017, somewhere in that kind mm-hmm. of range. And I was kind of curious, like what they were going to talk about. And you know, there's some conversation. It's pretty fluffy. Like they're they're very. They write. They say glowing things about the scripts, but then like kind of say, but you know, maybe they weren't quite executed right. You know, they seem right. to be willing to admit some issues. And I was curious. And they certainly come up about the like the stereotypes and kind of the cultural slurs they use. And uh, the actor who played Divas is is the most conciliatory about them being like, ah, I don't know if that was the best. That was not. That was not great that we were doing that. And uh, the creator himself was just like, ah. Eh, I'll admit, I use a lot of stereotypes. What about, what are you going to do? He's like, sometimes you just fall back on a stereotype, which I thought was very funny. But that uh, that producer we've talked about, the one that didn't get along with him, when uh, when they interviewed him, he starts railing against PC culture and how they're <laughs> holding people back. And I'm just like, oh, this guy's an asshat. <laughs> Yeah, so 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 time has not uh, been kind to his views. Huh? He's uh, he's an old dinosaur still going. Yeah, it's very funny. I'm like, if you ha- if you weren't sure who to choose in this battle between creator and producer, and believe me, it's not this producer. <laughs> he uh, bizarrely, bizarrely decides to like fight about PC culture in the middle of a fluff piece documentary, and I'm just like, oh, mm. <laughs> you seem like a nice person. <laughs> Well, it is funny because, uh, you know, we've said it before, and well, I'm sure we'll speak about it more as we finish this episode. Some things have not clearly not aged well, and certain things you can kind of not excuse, but you you kind of put it to side and go, all right, it was f- almost 40 years ago. We get that views have changed, and some of this has aged poorly. But it is kind of a shame more overall that there does seem to be some some real quality just beneath the surface but the show never gets to it because of things like the rush job the slightly clunky scripts the outdated social mores and these sort of racist views they just kind of it it creates this subterfuge over top of what could be a good show and i did find that funny in this documentary like the the narration over top was like they just finished like interviewing people and like really building up the show and they're like but despite its high quality it also really fell back on stereotypes which were (laughs) Uh, low quality so maybe it wasn't that high quality I'm like this documentary is like really like towing a line of fluff piece and like well, maybe the show isn't very good it's like it's like having to do like a glowing uh, glowing uh, uh, documentary on someone you hate you're like well he had a beautiful singing voice <laughs> alright well before we get on to the episode I have one last thing I would like to talk about this show because I, I was doing all this research this week is is let's talk a little bit about the Star Cops expanded universe mm-hmm. I was really interested we spoke about this off the air <laughs> I don't know why that's funny um, about these this audio series and I think it was one audiobook novel right that was created afterwards I believe so I mean I've had a few people on Twitter actually tweet this at me too kind of telling me this exists but yeah it's I guess recently very recently mm-hmm. um a audiobook company i believe or big finish productions is what they're called oh, thank you uh they they went off and made a, a like kind of a continuation of the series in in audio play form which is ironic because the creator originally pitched this as an audio series to the bbc the bbc made him do it as a tv show well and i'm gonna say i don't i haven't listened to any of these i actually might do it uh uh it, this summer but um I imagine this would work better because of the uh, budgetary restraints that the show had. I think this makes more sense as a play, as this, because that's what I think they wanted this to be. This sort of 
mystery where every week there's something getting solved and you it's it's more about listening to these characters as opposed to the visuals which were never the the show's strong point uh yeah it's, i mean it's interesting to know that it would go for a circle and i i also haven't listened to it but i was looking I, when i was looking at the audio uh plays online i did notice um and this is some, this is a very deep cut for uh myself jordan what one of the writers of one of the episodes in the, I think the Mars series mm-hmm. is a, a woman named uh, Una McCormack, who I've read the Star Trek uh, books she's read. She's written before. Oh, really? She, she's written. She's written books, and she's really, really good. Actually, she writes books about uh, Cardassia post Dominion War and like Reconstruction there, and they're actually like surprisingly interesting and like well done. So it's very funny. I saw her name. I'm like, oh well, maybe I will listen to this. I like this Una McCormick lady. Well, well, you mentioned Mars. So there's two series. The first one that came out was called Mother Earth, and it was in I think it was 2019 uh, or 2018. Anyways, they're all recent. That was the first series, and I think there's eight episodes or whatever you would call eight portions of this play and then there was an audiobook in between called the stuff of life that you've mentioned in a previous podcast because it doesn't have anna shun in it and then there's mars which is the one you just mentioned which is the second one that just in 2020 so pretty recently that it uh that it was available well what's crazy is the expanded universe stuff is all very recent like uh the creator himself took all the original screenplays turned them into like uh books and then kind of self-published those semi-self-published those books back and that was probably kind of like five or seven years ago so those all got reissued recently and then even last year there was a there was a like unofficial guide to star cops called above the law that was put out like in 2020 so it's so weird that like it's just like in the last sort of five to ten years that's when everyone's decided to revisit and recapitalize on this it just it's, it strikes me as very odd that they just like and it doesn't feel like it's because there's been some cultural zeitgeist for it. Like, it's not like people know about it more now. It just, for whatever reason, it's finally come back into vogue. <laughs> I guess, but it's just time. Time has been uh, very helpful to it. So it's so strange. This is one of the rare ones we watch where it's just like, I think, you know, we'll agree it's not a, not the best show, but it's just odd to see it, like, very recently coming back into play in a way that uh, is, is interesting. <laughs> well, it's nice that a show, as we've said before, it's, I kind of feel a little bummed out by this show because, again, it's like, there's something here. There's an interesting idea that is never quite executed. And again, I haven't l- listened to these plays, but my hope is that it's fully realized in these. And this good idea is has been able to flourish in some way. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at them. I don't none of the original writers are involved. I, like And like I said, I l- actually like the one writer who I saw did one episode. So I was like, maybe these are good. Maybe it's possible. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, well, m- maybe we'll both check it out. Who knows? The only time will tell. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Jordan, are you ready for the last episode? I am. Let's do it. Here is the IMDb summary for episode nine, Little Green Men and Other Martians. Rumors swell of an alien artifacts discovered on Mars. An attempt is made to kill Nathan Spring as he investigates drug smugglers and the deaths of two pilots. And that, again, of course, was our friend Gus F Mm -hmm. for a final episode. Yeah, Uh, he's dead now. Um, <laughs> he died. He died shortly after. He couldn't live with life knowing that he had no more reviews to write of Star Cops. Um, if only he waited. He could have had those audiobooks. I know it was a it was a mistake. What can I say? Um, the dark Jordan dark. <laughs> the, I was I was really worried when I saw the title of this episode that they were going to introduce aliens into this universe after what i would refer to as the clone debacle um of several episodes ago i was like oh guys don't do this don't wreck this 
a very r- realistic sort of uh, show about space travel or space colonization. Don't add aliens to this. I just don't think it works in the universe, but uh, they don't really sort of. So it's interesting to kind of see what the, the, the angle they take on this. No, no, it's just it's. It's just another standalone mystery, um, yeah. it, but it does start off on Mars. I know you said you're not a big fan of the effects on the show, but I, I thought I like its really low-fi retro effects. So this shot, these shots of Mars and the sunrise on Mars, I was. Just I like, thought this, this looked okay. Fun. I think I think their little miniature work and their work on the moon is weirdly better than their sets on the space station. I mean, it's this is a shoestring budget, so like in some ways you have to do some forgiving. But uh, I, and this the little finally going to Mars was kind of a nice with a there's like a climactic sunrise over a ridge mm-hmm. on Mars. It all looks quite beautiful. But um, basically, we're seeing a, a mining survey crew is uh, driving around Mars, planting charges on the surface, and uh, one of the people who works for this mining crew happens to like stick his hand into some soft dirt, and he discovers a. Uh, I guess an artifact of some sort that the audience is kind of hidden from the audience for most of the episode. But essentially, whatever he finds on Mars starts a huge rumor circulating back on Earth, and it's being sent back on a ship. And everyone's very excited because apparently he's discovered ancient aliens on Mars, um, and possibly even they keep teasing maybe it's going to be a Martian corpse he's coming back with. Yeah, all we know is that rumors are now abound. They're everywhere that people are saying there's evidence. We don't know what it is, but there's evidence that there's aliens that's basically and how did you feel about the way they kind of talked about the rumors because at first i was like do people know about it or don't they know about it because it seemed like it was a secret just for reporters but then no one was buying it i I wasn't quite sure how it was i was supposed to take it as a viewer I mean, at first I felt it was like uh, under wrap secret, but as you kind of get back to the moon and as it starts unraveling, like it's quite clear that there's a buzz in the new, like on the news, like they're watching TV and the news is talking about what's coming back. Like it seems like there is this buzz, like something is coming back. No one just quite knows what, mm. and the rumors are kind of sort. Like and I think that's the idea. Is like you're supposed to think at first it's an artifact, and then as the news media gets a hold of it, people start talking about it being like a full on Martian is coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in in one of these kind of throwbacks to the original episode, the original episodes of the series, Jordan, we get a shot of the shuttle that's flying back with the artifact. We never cut inside of it, but we get the yeah. voiceover of the two pilots being like, "Good thing we took a photo of that weird artifact. Let's sell it to the tabloids." Yeah, I love that. That's it's like just scene done. We've got all the information we need done. And it it only makes it more because com- those two pilot characters are going to be something we have to track, but we never saw who they were, so it just makes it that much more complicated down the road because you don't know who was saying those lines. Yeah, the show has done this a few times where you're supposed to remember someone from early in the episode, but this person is concealed in some way by a spacesuit or by shadows or something, and then later on they're like, "Hey, it's it's Johnny," and I was like, "Oh, was Johnny the guy from the beginning? I don't I don't remember anymore." Well, it just results in a lot more exposition to explain who that person you never quite saw. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, back on the moon, they're preparing for the arrival of this Martian evidence, and they, and they get two special guests arriving on the station. Uh, one is an alcoholic reporter named Daniel Larwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know he's a drinker right off the bat because we get a scene um, where he shows up to, I guess, Colin is sort of screening people as they come to the station. That's, I guess, part of his job. And this guy, there's like a whole sort of production about how he has a flask but then they check the flask and it's just water and he's like can you believe it i'm such a prankster but then kenzie shows up who knows him from the past and i guess is more thorough than colin and sees that he has an additional flask so he was drinking but i didn't understand 
<laughs> how this was going to help the guy in terms of having this fake flask. I'm like, his his hope was that he would come across a laser screener who would find a flask and then not look for a second. Was that the was that the gag? I have no idea. It was just a I get, it was just a gag that like, oh, check his bag. He's got a full bottle of bourbon. It's like okay, but I mean, later they try to use it as a way to threaten him for illegally bringing booze onto the moon, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Really, what's there? And this is so weird too. It's like. They basically tease a backstory between the reporter and Kenzie. And the most that was really revealed about this backstory is that this reporter, I guess, followed Kenzie and a group of anarchists she used to be a part of back in university around and then wrote like a mean article Mm -hmm. about the anarchists. So that's their sort of backstory. But you don't learn anymore. Like it's this thing they keep like Kenzie has a problem with psychiatrists. Kenzie used to be an anarchist. Like they keep teasing this backstory. I'm just like, you guys got to tell me. I can't stand all this well, teasing anymore. Well, the, the biggest problem with that is it doesn't have any effect on her as a character in any of these episodes. It's it would be bad enough if it's like they just drop in information because it's convenient to the plot. But they it's even worse than that. They drop in information that's not useful at all, and they keep doing it over and over. And it's like, but I still don't know anything about her as a character. You keep telling me about these things in her past, but it doesn't show at all in any of her actions and it is and, and you it makes you start wondering i'm like is this part of a larger backstory or are you just making this up every episode where are we going with this? yeah but um I, one thing i like is uh, i think it's in the next scene or two uh and we'll get it the same sort of scene repeated a few times which is alex uh who's i get what did we agree he was he's sort of like the coordinator he's the, he's- yeah, he's the moon base coordinator. He sort of wants this Daniel Larwood character, and I think other press people, just off the ship. He just wants them off because I've guessed the, the rumors are too much and they're distracting. And Nathan's just like, nah. And, and what I like is neither one really presented a good argument on either side, so I don't know who I was supposed to support. Is it Alex or Nathan as a viewer? I'm like, well, I don't know. Should this guy be on the ship? Well, here's the thing. Alex is uh, Alex Provenko's like reticence to all these reporters is re- is a direct result of the other special guest who shows up on the station. It's a, a Doctor Andrew Philpot. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's is a he curator. the one is he the one that wears the glasses and kind of looks like a pedophile? <laughs> I mean, he wears glasses. I won't disparage his character that far. <laughs> it's because you're wearing glasses. That's what you think of all people who wear glasses. Uh, no, just just the pedophile looking glasses. <laughs> Luke, Luke, it's it's a well known fact that pedophiles have bad eyesight. <laughs> we can cut that out. You're as good a cop as Nathan Spring. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> that's funny. Um, the uh, th- this Andrew Philpot is a curator for a museum on Earth, and this is it's really the the exposition around this museum doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like it's the world's wealthiest museum that has so much money that it's like too rich for it like it doesn't know what to do with all the money it has i'm just like that is no museum on earth was that was that what that was supposed to be well they keep just talking about this idea this is like such a wealthy museum and they have basically have and i don't know how this would work either but they've essentially bought the rights to do research on whatever this martian artifact is coming back and they're going to share it with every other research institute on earth but they're going to hold the rights to it and part of holding the rights to it means they're going to not exhibit the artifact to the public until all the possible research is done on it so there's the idea is basically the martian artifact is going to come back but the public is never going to get to see it until like a few years down the road when they're finished looking at it and this is kind of why i guess this this philpot showed up and he tells alex carvanco just like don't 
like, we got to get these reporters off. We've bought the secret rights to this thing. I don't want anyone to see it. So he's kind of pressuring Kravenko because apparently Kravenko, as we've seen in the previous episode, is really pressured by people with money to do stuff on the moon base. Well, because we've learned now that apparently the ship is entirely privately funded by these corporations. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I, it doesn't. none of it is fully adding up exactly, but... This is his whole backstory is basically like this guy's shown up. He's he just works for the museum and he's just there to ensure the museum's property arrives safely and returns to them now that they've purchased Martian artifact rights. I don't know. But it goes to my uh, the next scene in the episode, which is my favorite scene, which is it's repeated a few times. But basically, Nathan and Daniel, uh, the reporter, have these sort of like mental chess matches where it's like Nathan's trying to find out what he knows and if if it's important and blah, blah, blah. And it's, I guess, important to the episode. I found it boring. But the only thing that was really interesting to me is, and maybe you understand this more than I did, Luke, but they're having this like tete-a-tete and this woman comes over apropos of nothing. We don't know who she is. We're never going to see her again. And she comes up to Daniel and goes, hey, can I get your autograph? And he's like, okay. And he gives her autograph and then she leaves. He's just such a star reporter. (laughs) Is that what I was supposed to believe? That reporters are so famous that people want to get his autograph? I thought it was going to be something later on that he... I I didn't even know what it was. I just thought it was going to be some sort of reveal later in the episode that made sense. But it was just like, what? Why would someone be asking for an autograph? He's just such a celebrity, this reporter. Like, this is the thing. He's like, he got some sort of tip on Earth and he's here to, like, look into it. And it may or may not have to do with the Martian artifact. And, like, that's the thing. Like, he's really, like... I'm a reporter who doesn't trust cops. He's, I think at some point they say he 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 wrote an article at some point. I believe the article was called uh, Cops and Robbers, A Guide to Spotting the Difference. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So him and Nathan are odds because he's anti-cop. But I was like, well, I mean, I don't know, you guys. I don't know where this is going. Yeah. Well, this is all happening. There's also the usual, like, convoluted other subplots happening that all sort of tie together. Like, Divas gets a call from a, a, a jerk who works at the customs agency on the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's all it's all it's all really about this like uh Divas just for this episode is the guy like at the airport who scans stuff. So and he's sort of he's always checking for contraband, really. That's and but like we've never seen him do it before, but this episode, like, he doesn't leave that space. Well it's weird. It's, it's not even his job in this episode either. For some reason he's just called by the people whose job it is to look at something. Like basically this customs agent is helping load up the Lucifer One, the ship that's going to go to Mars because Mars is currently in a window of opportunity in which they can like send supplies back and forth. Mm-hmm. And this customs agent was digging into one box full of uh, explosive charges going to the mining companies. And he happens to stumble across a, a weird statue inside of it. And they, they call up, he calls up Divas. Divas comes, picks it up. And the star cops have a look at it. And they're like, what's this crazy statue? And we kind of get this like other reveal to Kenzie. She's just like, also apparently took uh, uh, history in school. Because she's like, oh, that's an old Mayan statue uh, from, you know, pre-civilization or whatever and and i happen to know that's very expensive like whoever bought that is it must have a lot of money because at a why would i'll like it's so expensive and so ancient and like they're like weird why are they sending it to mars and i guess they their plan is basically once they find it's like well let's just put it back where we found it and we'll just do a sting operation on mars and catch whoever was smuggling this ancient artifact to mars basically but see you're making it much more streamlined and uh, oh, sensical than really how clarifying. they than how they do it because the episode it's just like a series of people talking about stuff and shots of people putting stuff back in boxes and you're like what what is happening and you have to as a viewer fill in all the blanks that the show's not doing for you for everyone's uh, intentions and motivations. 
Well, and that's the thing. It's not that the blanks aren't filled in. It's just they fill them in over like 40 minutes. Of, so like what I just described to you happens over like 25 minutes of the episode, which could have been done in like two seconds. Like yeah. Davis finds it. There's seven scenes. Then they look at it and they're like, what is it? And there's another scene. And then Kenzie walks in and is like, oh, it's a mine object. Two more scenes. And then they go back and they're like, let's hide it and like catch the person on Mars. But you have to watch like so there's like a million other scenes between them where you're tracking other plot devices. And it's just like so confusing as a result. So I've really tried to streamline what's happening in my notes. Well, again, you're you're doing a better job than the show does. <laughs> um, so, yes, they put it back and they're like, we'll catch we'll, we'll just have someone catch the smuggler on Mars. Then the other mystery of the episode starts, which is like where, why this is so convoluted, is we see a cargo ship doing an unscheduled flight across the moon. Something goes wrong and uh, the pilot of the ship crashes and it explodes and the pilot's killed. And the star cops, I believe this is Anna Shun's job this time. She goes out and she uh, basically grabs the like remains of the ship up and, and they discover that the killed pilot for some reason had two duplicate IDs, but they don't know why. And it won't come up again until much later in the mm-hmm. thing as to why they are making a big deal of her having duplicate IDs. And this dead pilot is then further complicated by this reporter goes to meet his contact on the moon who's going to give him information about something about this alien artifact. And when he gets there, this man is like dying. Like someone's killed this man and and he discovers the body and has to go talk to the star cops. And what basically what this is, is like the pilot who died on this unauthorized run on the moon and then this contact who died are both pilots. They're both dead pilots, mm-hmm. and they both have no record of being on the moon. They go visit this, like, insane traffic control place that's, like, so busy they can't keep track of things. They're like, we don't know how these pilots got to the moon. Yeah, I, li- I like that they have this that place that's, like, traffic control. Nathan goes, and she just couldn't care less that he's there. I know. And he goes, like, two or three times, yeah. too. And it, all of this is just, like, this, this back and forth of them, like, basically establishing there's two weird pilots on this moon both have been killed for some reason or have died in some way. They even shared quarters in the guest quarters, but there's no record of them being here. So this is sort of like now what the third or fourth mystery that's happening in this episode. Yeah. And I mean, it, what what's going to be the culmination of all this is they're going to find drugs very soon. And so they think one of these pilots or both, I can't remember, are, are essentially drug runners. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like, why are these people tied up in the drugs that were here? And this, and this thing too, like, there becomes this now subplot about are there drug runners on the moon and even this happens mostly off screen but like they'll cut and they'll be like Devis will just be on his way back from arresting the drug they like they like i guess they look at the trajectory of the crashed plane and figure out where these custom drug like these guys are making drugs on the moon and shipping them back to earth or maybe mars but we just cut and Devis has somehow found them arrested them and he's driving back with them, and they're like, oh, I don't think these people know anything about those pilots. I think they were just, like, there, but let's threaten their lives to get more information. Do you think it's a good business plan to make drugs on the moon and send it back to Earth? What do you think the benefits are? Is it that I, you're in an international space? Is that, that's the only thing I can think. It, it just seems like it's more complex. The idea, I think, is that the moon is so, like, so busy that this kind of thing can happen, but it does feel like... A, a step too far and even they never really get into the business because that's the thing like they arrest the drug runners mm-hmm. and there's a weird scene where Devis and nathan on an open mic from the moon and the like the moon buggy they've arrested them on are like doing this thing where they're gonna they're threatening to like throw them out on the moon and let them die out there unless they give them information and like a reporter walks in and like overhears basically police abuse but nobody everyone just laughs it off they're like ha 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 but also, the scene seemed weirdly out of character. Like, 
I know we know as a viewer that are the characters that we follow, these main uh, characters in the show, are not going to just ruthlessly kill someone. But has there been any history of the Star Cops doing that sort of thing? Like, would the people actually be worried? That's that's the question. And the thing is, like, it's all, you know, the threat to get more information. And for the episode, the information they apparently get from these drug smugglers is they didn't know the pilots. I'm just like such a long walk for no for like no further information (laughs) but they do finally figure out who these two dead pilots are nathan and investigating her it's so so hard to follow how they get there but eventually they talk to the traffic control people they figure out the two dead pilots names are actually the names of the pilots who are currently flying the ship with the martian artifact Mm -hmm. except according to traffic control that ship has is yet to arrive so they basically are like oh well they should still be on a ship in space how are they here right now what happened to that like that means there's now a missing cargo plane full of martian artifacts um so they kind of get to this sort of like somewhat intelligible conclusion at this point and then with the mystery not solved they go back to another b plot that's been happening this whole episode that we haven't talked about yet jordan but nathan is about to leave the moon for two years. <laughs> that was odd. I didn't. I didn't understand what was happening because there's this whole thing. I mean, look, we're not Nathan's any, last day. Yeah, it's Nathan's last day, and we're gonna get a whole thing that they think Nathan is dead for some reason. But it was so weird and so jammed in an episode that already had way too many spinning plates that I was just like, what am I? What am I supposed to think or feel about this? Like that's such an odd thing to just drop in like thirty minutes into an episode. Yeah, they've been semi-teasing that Nathan's on his way somewhere. It's unclear until, like, right at this, like, late stage of the episode that he's like, I'm going to be gone for two years because he's essentially going to go to Mars aboard the Lucifer One to essentially set up a star cop detachment on Mars, which they've been, like, toying with for the entire episode. And we finally get to the point where the mystery's not solved, but Nathan's basically his ticket's up. He's got he's to mm. board Lucifer One and head to the Mars. Like, it's, it's on its way out. And... What we see is um, that artifact that we saw earlier that was like they're going to smuggle. They're going to allow the smuggler to bring back to Mars. and They're going to like catch him in a sting on Mars like that Mayan artifact they found. Mm-hmm. What we see is someone's like classic POV shot of someone's hands and they're turning on all the explosives in the same box as the Mayan artifact. And it's some nice miniature work. We see like the final pod get loaded onto Lucifer one. Lucifer one sets off uh, ostensibly with Nathan. We're supposed to think off to the, off to Mars. And as it like kind of leaves earth's or moon's orbit, the entire like ship explodes. Like yeah. it's, it's all destroyed. It's a, it's a massive loss of life. And uh, the star cops are left to believe that Nathan has been killed um, on this, on this ship. But you as the viewer don't buy it for a second. Like, did you ever think Nathan was dead? No. For a quick second, I was just like, I could see the show killing a lead character. But then I was like, oh, wait, all those all those uh, audiobooks. So I know he's not dead. <laughs> you, have, you have the benefit of being from the future. Exactly, exactly. And with this, like, Kenzie sort of takes charge, basically. This is, we're seeing Kenzie kind of grab the bull by the horns, which I think is partly... Partly because her character would, but also partly because perhaps Thoreau's not in this episode and he had to get his lines divvied out. And also, I don't know if we've said it, but we should really... She seems to be the one who's the most upset. And they started teasing this in the previous episode, and they really lean into it in this, that there's some underlining feelings that she has for Nathan that may or may not be reciprocated. So she's taking it particularly hard, and maybe that is part of what's thrusting her forward into this um this leadership role and really wants to find the solution for what happened 
Yeah, she wants to solve the mystery for Nathan. And, she, and so she finally confronts Kronvanko about the fact that there's these two dead pilots who are supposedly supposedly piloting the ship from Mars that's now missing. And, like, Kronvanko, like, finally comes clean. He's just like, I got to tell you what's really going on. We we were working with that museum curator. That ship actually arrived, like, five days ago. And we just didn't want people to know. So we landed that ship somewhere on the moon in secret that's why those pilots are back. And he's like, listen, I'm going to take you out there. We need to investigate this. Clearly something more going on since that ship full of people just died in orbit. And they hop in a moon buggy and head toward this like secret landed ship on the moon. And as they arrive, the entire ship just explodes. Yeah. Lots of blown up ships in this episode. There's lots of blown up ships uh, out in this episode. And uh, essentially then that's gone. It seems like all like the mystery is really getting crazy because everything's exploding now. Kenzie heads back to the Starkov office and as she walks in, I guess to the I guess it's after hours, so it's dark. She walks in and finds that the reporter has broken in and is going through files. And not only has the reporter broken in, he's got Nathan with him. Nathan's not dead after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how about that? You could you would have never seen this coming. And I was a little lost as to the explanation for why Nathan stayed behind and didn't get on the ship. I guess the reporter told ended up tell, actually telling him something about what he was investigating. So Nathan decided, I, I think the idea is Nathan decided he was going to pretend to leave yeah. on the Mars ship so that the culprits would think he was gone and be more daring and he could investigate it more. Yeah, he thought it would somehow bring them uh, out of the woodwork sort of, but... I, I don't, it doesn't really make sense to me other than they wanted to have this fake death scare that is relegated to like the third plot of this episode. And I could never, I, I, I don't think he, I don't think Nathan knew the ship was going to explode. But I could, at times I was just like, did he know the ship was going to explode, killing all these people and did he do nothing about it? That's, that's kind of what I thought. I thought it was that he knew something, maybe it wasn't going to explode, that something was hinky, that there was something weird going to happen. Yeah. So I'm not going to go on to it. It was all very nebulous near the end. But don't you think, but he, he, he does, uh, th- those deaths, if he at least knew something was funny and didn't notify anyone, I mean, what he could have just done is not had the ship go and then still see if that brings people out, right? Like, there's no reason to have let the ship go and blow up. It did feel very much like someone dropped the ball somewhere and a lot of people died because of it. Yeah, yeah. At any rate, like, the, like... Here's the thing. This whole episode is going to end with a huge amount of exposition and just like random coincidence in like one final scene in the space cops office after dark. Because they go in. Kenzie goes in there. Reporter's in there. Nathan's alive. He's in there. They explain, hey, I didn't go because I want to smoke out the culprit. And they're like, I think. And they're like, we think we figured out that that duplicate ID that that dead pilot had has a photo of the alien artifact on it, or I guess it's actually a hologram photo of the alien artifact on it, mm-hmm. hidden in her duplicate ID somehow. Like, I don't know the technology behind it. And, like, they, they put it in, like, a hollow projector, and, it, like, they look at it, and they're like, oh, it's clearly just a Mayan artifact. It's not actually... Mm-hmm. There's this idea that... This is the thing. And then Dr. Philpot jumps out of the shadows, and he's just like, ah, oh, I've been trying to cover up my crimes this whole time. Because, you see, I sent Mayan artifacts to Mars to make it look like ancient aliens visited Earth so that I could sell them to the museum I work at for millions of dollars and get rich. But also, I didn't want people to know I did that. So I've been... So once my plans fell apart, I just started blowing everyone up to cover it all up. Yeah, and then he, like, he has, like, a remote in his hand that I guess will blow up where they are. And so Nathan sets off an alarm and they have a badly choreographed fight as they struggle for this... Uh, detonator. Another classic climax for Star Wars. Yeah, badly which, which again, fight. we've said this before. This has been nine episodes. 
it's not a strength of the show and it it just seems like someone said every episode you need to have like a physical confrontation and it's this is you know at its at its highest aspirations is a cerebral show there's no need for this sort of stuff and they just stick it in every episode and every episode it just falls flat because it looks dumb yeah i mean and it's so silly like, yeah he's he's got a remote that's gonna blow up the star cops office they wrestle him to the ground because kenzie's also an engineer she disarms the thing and they're like oh we did it we saved the day we caught the man whose plan was to con his own museum out of money via mayan art like so that guy must have spent millions of dollars on those mayan artifacts yeah so i don't think what, what we didn't explain the the basic the plan was to take these mayan artifacts put them on mars have people discover them and then think that they were even, I guess, more valuable than what they are. And because then people would think that these artifacts were always made by aliens and that aliens exist and had come to Earth, you know, whatever, thousands of years ago and had created these sculptures as well. That That's basically what it is, right? I, don't, I yeah. still don't know what the end game is, though, that, that the, the uh, hospitals will have even more valuable artifacts. No, you know what the end game is? They're, the end game is this guy's just a curator at the museum, and he's just scamming money from his... Like, he just wants them to pay him millions of dollars eh. for these fake artifacts. So, like, the whole the whole scam... Like, there's this complicated thing about the idea of, like, tricking people into thinking ancient aliens exist, but it has nothing to do with his scam. His scam is literally just like, I want money in pocket, please. Mm. Yeah, see, that's, that's the connect I couldn't make, because it was just like, well, isn't this, like a long way to go just to scam some money there's got to be easier ways of doing it it's such a long walk especially since he's like ship he has to ship them to mars and as kenzie said they're very expensive objects so that they're, they're not cheap to acquire and then he has like agents on mars who pretend to discover them who then sell them to the museum he works at on, and then him and those guys split the profits well here's the thing i, I don't i'm not an expert uh, on uh, carbon dating or whatever method for finding the origin of things but like i'd assume that some specialist would take a look at this thing and do some preliminary test and be like oh yeah this is from earth they've just moved it to mars because it doesn't have whatever the level of calcium or protein or whatever it would be yeah, that yeah, you'd yeah. find on mars well and i think there's an element of that in that the idea that like he wants like the museum's gonna hide it from the public so i think he thinks they're because the only reason he's blowing every, uh, everything up and killing all these people now is he thinks he's going to be exposed because those pilots took a photo of one of the artifacts. So he, like, seems to know this is the worst plan on Earth that's going to be exposed immediately. And as soon as that starts happening, he just starts killing everyone involved. Yeah. I, it's so confusing. This episode is so clunky and unfocused, even for this show. It's just, it's it's got so much happening, and it just needs to be streamlined down to, I don't know, one plot as opposed to 17. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest too. I there's a kind of there's probably a fun episode where they find a Mayan artifact on Mars, and like you get to do like an ancient aliens episode where everyone's worried about ancient aliens, and then you discover it's a it's a scam. Mm-hmm. Like that's probably fun. This is not that episode by any means. So, anyways, there's there's a crux of a an idea here that something interesting can developed on, but they don't want to do that. They want to make it as complicated as possible because they think that's more interesting and i think it hurts the show because it makes it boring because you as a viewer just like it's just constant scenes and information coming at you that might connect and might not and at the end it's sort of whimpers of like yeah it was just for money i mean i you know i think we've said it it feels like these episodes just didn't get any time to be written Mm -hmm. so and that's what this feels like there's so too many ideas they're forced to throw them all at you at the end so the most interesting ones are lost in exposition at the end and what came before it is kind of indifferent. Mm-hmm. And and it's so funny. And the episode is over. They've saved the day once again. 
And uh, the episode ends with all the, all the star cops are happy. Nathan's back. He's alive. And then Nathan turns to them all. And he's like, what do you say? We go to Mars. And they're all like, what? Yeah. And then we're like, "Uh oh, what's I guess they're going to Mars next season. Yeah. I guess but, again. But they're not <laughs> because that's it. It's done. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, I don't have any final notes. We could probably get into ratings on this on, on uh, uh, Little Green Men. And other I think Martians. we've uh, I think we've said everything there is to say about this show. I'm going to say, like, obviously not a good episode, uh, a lot of pro- plotting problems, a lot of things that just don't add up uh, as usual. I will say this, though. This feels like a return to kind of those, like, first couple episodes, which also didn't work, but at least wasn't as bad as the ones in the middle, which were just, like, truly mm-hmm. awful. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Too much exposition. Needed a million rewrites. But, like, it felt way more like the episodes I watched at the start than it did the ones in the middle. So I'm just I'm gonna give it a just a six I think I'll go with like six on this one. I would agree with you on that that I think it's the attempt to create a complicated murder mystery type thing. But I just after eight episodes uh, of varying quality, I just think it's been going downhill. And there's nothing I I can do other than just give it like a accumulation of having to watch this. So it's three out of ten. It's just bad, and it, I think it's a sad end for a show that, at the very best, had some potential that, you know, maybe it will have uh, reached that potential in those audio plays, because it sure doesn't do it here. No, it's just uh, a really, unfortunately, written show. Like, yeah, you know, that's the good ideas, but ne- none of them ever executed within any stretch of the imagination of, like, a good idea. Yeah. And really, the best we did was that time they went to that American space station. Yeah, it sort of, it sort of uh, started a little bit rough and then got a little bit better, better, and you're like, oh, this might go somewhere. And then, I, I for, at least for me, it just felt like a steady decline to the end. I mean, yeah, the thing, I think, like, this episode is funnily, it's like, oh, a return to form of when you were just an okay show. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Well, I mean, be- just before we get into the ratings, would you, would you have like uh recommend this to anybody i honestly i like if if you were that curious about the show i would just watch that one american episode the one where the americans were on it what was that one trivial games and paranoid pursuits mm-hmm. that was the name of the episode that is the best episode that's like uh, the graphics are the best in that episode the mystery is the most tied together as best as this show's ever been able to pull off as at that point all the characters are there so you kind of at least are like with everybody it, it's the most fun episode it's the closest the episode gets to i think what it wants to be like the international intrigue uh it's the best episode like i think that's really only one that you should probably commit your time to because the other ones are just they're either badly plotted and like you know ends up not being that interesting as solve of the mystery or as you get into that mid-season like this mid-late season they're just like actually hard to watch because of just like how they execute and just like their choices and the stereotyping and like they're just kind of not fun i would recommend you don't watch any of this and go find a new hobby <laughs> that'd be my recommendation go do something else i mean this is only our hobby jordan I don't <laughs> <get anywhere else. laughs> that's true that's true um but yeah it, it's 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 too bad well what is our final score are we able to punch in the numbers and see what we're at as we wrap this up i'll toss in the old computer a uh, continuum ray computer and see what we get Well, Jordan, uh, the final rating, I think you'll agree this is probably right on right on the money. It's its 5.17. Like, it is truly oh. just, like, right at 5, which I think is yeah pretty much fair for this episode. Well, and, you know, we've this season has been a little bit of a mixed bag of uh, uh, shows we've watched. 
Um, I think this is probably, you correct me if I'm wrong, one of the higher rated shows. Not the, not the highest. I think that would probably be ultraviolet, I'd guess. But in terms of the shows we've watched, this is sort of, I think, almost a median. Like, it's hitting right in the middle. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, this one's, a, this one's a really weird one, too, because it ended up, like, we didn't know anything about it. And then we came in, and as we started looking into it, like, realizing what a big following it like it's it's kind of weird this one like goes this weird one where i don't know how to feel about it because mm-hmm. it is both not good but also more popular than i would have ever imagined yeah yeah i mean i think the greatest in this show has and you may not agree with me is that for all its intent uh and for what i think sometimes is some really good plotting and some very clever writing it's achingly boring yeah i mean it's it suffers from being not great at putting a mystery together which is a problem if you're going to be a mystery show yeah yeah i mean here's the thing am i probably going to think back on this slightly nostalgically in a few years probably i think i think like you're probably right i probably will have more positive feelings about this than some of the shows we've seen and i do feel like that's where the fan base comes around this this is i think this is one of the clearest examples i've seen of like nostalgia tinting a view a retrospective view of a show Mm mm-hmm like, I mean, you know the feeling. Like, you look back at Star Trek and you, you, you think of it as a great show, but then sometimes when you go back and watch, you're like, oh, it's it's good, but sometimes there are very bad episodes. Yeah. I have rarely seen a show where I'm just like, oh, I see how nostalgia has tinged this into something that it was not. Yeah, because people sort of talk about it like this great, long-lost cult classic, and you watch it and you go, guys, it's not that good. Like, again... There's potential, but you can't base a show on what it could have been. You can only base on what it is, and what this is is a not very good show. But you can imagine, though, you can imagine watching this week to week, forty years ago, and then it's gone, and you never, you're never, yeah. you can't access it ever again. You can never reevaluate what you thought mm-hmm. of it, and it just builds and builds in yeah. your in your mind, right? You can see how that happened with this show, like the actual show itself. There's not much there. But if you, you know, with as you get further and further away from it, it probably seemed better and better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's still the audio plays for those people. Well, that's it. Now now it's back. It's back and better than ever. Yeah. It probably is better than ever. I mean, that's true. It probably is better than ever. It certainly mm-hmm. could be worse than it was. <laughs> well, that wraps it up, Jordan. We've got to the end of Star Cops. Uh, an, uh, an oddity. Certainly mm-hmm. an oddity, I feel like. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I'm glad we watched it. It was an unusual one for us in some ways. Um, But if you, the listener, have any final thoughts on uh, Star Cops, I don't know where we'll put them, but you can email us at uh, (laughs) continuedrag at gmail.com. I mean, we can't talk about them in more episodes. The episodes are over. And, of course, on Instagram and Twitter, we're going to have so many explosions. (laughs) There's just so many explosions I'm going to put in this episode. And and, uh, very non-exciting reveals of sculptures. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many how many boring mind sculptures <laughs> I'm going to show. <laughs> you want to see that? Go to a boring museum. Yeah. Uh, but that wraps it up for uh, Star Cops, Jordan. So, listener, thank you for joining us, and I will see you not next week, Jordan, but I'll see you on Friday with a special announcement episode. <laughs> see you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.